You're listening to Manx Radio, and I'm Judith Lay, welcoming you to the podcast of the Manx Sky at Night with Howard Parkin. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And here he is, twinkling away as always. It's Howard Parkin. Fastamai, Howard, and very good evening to you. And Fastamai, Judith, it's great to be here again. You are listening to The Manx Sky at Night for the month of September with Howard Parkin, and you are very welcome. Now, Howard, we've got, as usual, a game of two halves. We've got looking at our sky first and then catching up on space news. But you did say when you came in the studio that we've got two particularly exciting events to talk about. So should we be addressing them first? We probably should because they're happening tomorrow. There's two exciting events taking place tomorrow. One is an astronomical event. The planet Jupiter reaches what we call opposition tomorrow. That's when it is in the exact opposite part of the sky to the sun, at midnight, and therefore will be shining all night and is quite unmistakable. It's really very bright, very, very easy to spot, and lots and lots of people have said to me, what's that bright star up there? And I have great pleasure in telling them, it's the planet Jupiter. Because we've got three planets in there. Actually, we've got four planets we can see at the moment. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But the other exciting thing we've got is the DART spacecraft. NASA's DART spacecraft is actually the first step in a some form of orbital defence system for the Earth. It's taking place tomorrow. It's actually just after midnight tomorrow. Strictly speaking, it's on Tuesday morning. Really what's happening, uh, this spacecraft is going to uh, send another spacecraft towards this little object called Didymos. And Didymos is a small asteroid with an orbiting moon. And they're going to impact, they're going to drive a spacecraft straight into this um, moon. And then they're going to measure if that moon has been at all deflected. This will tell them that if you use, for, in crude terms, if you use a 10-pound weight hitting it 5 mile an hour or 50 mile an hour or whatever, uh, an object that's so many tonnes in size, and it's deflected by an inch, then scale that up. If an asteroid or an object was going to hit the Earth, then they, this is the first step in trying to identify could what they call a kinetic impact event have an effect on altering the object's orbit. So it's quite exciting. It launched back in November 21 uh, and it's reaching, us, uh, it's reaching Didymos tomorrow, as I say, at midnight tomorrow. So that will be something that you will be watching with oh, great interest. avidly, and it'll be all over the news. Again, you heard it first on Mike's Radio, folk. It'll be all over the news on Tuesday morning. But... Occasionally we do hear these, um, I, I suppose, to some extent, sensational stories that there's, there's an asteroid heading for the Earth oh, yes. and and, and it, it can create a certain amount of, uh, of, of concern in people who oh, don't... It certainly does. You certainly know, does. just people like myself. So, you know, I, I guess that, that, that although the likelihood of these things... It's slim. If you look at the statistics of life on Earth, for life to exist on Earth must have meant there have been no major meteoric impacts in the last however many thousand years. Otherwise, life would have been wiped out many years earlier and we wouldn't be here. Um, so the re- the chances of it happening are slim. Yes, there have been impacts. Yes, there have been some comparatively large impacts. 
In 2015, we had the impact over Chelyabinsk in Russia, uh, and that was quite dramatic, and that was seen visually by lots of people who had cameras on their cars and all the rest, but it didn't cause any major problems. It didn't wipe out the dinosaurs, for instance, which is what we think wiped the dinosaurs out all those millions of years ago. And, of course, if that hadn't occurred, then life on Earth probably wouldn't have evolved the way it has done with us being here now. So it's not all bad news, but it's something we need to be aware of, and this is the first step to see if mankind could... Uh, affect uh, incoming object and maybe deflect it off its course without Bruce Willis helping us. But of course, because he may be busy when the moment he comes. He might just be busy. He might just... But, uh, but, but seriously, the, the, the underlying thing to all of this is nature's capacity to sort itself out. Oh, absolutely. If we go back billions of oh, years... Yes. That, that it has evolved, it has has adapted. It's incredible when you think of the, the the force of nature and what nature can do. I mean, we, I think we're we're all struck. I mean, thunderstorms. We had thunderstorms not long ago, didn't we? And every single person is is awestruck by them. Yes, they cause damage and it, it's horrible when it happens to people. But uh, a thunderstorm, a tsunami, these things that can cause loss of life, but they are nature and flexing its muscles. And sometimes it makes our efforts look very puny. It by does. comparison. It, it does. So I think we better content ourselves with looking at what we can admire of nature. Absolutely and, uh, right. And, you know, it's it's interesting. I was just looking at some notes that you'd scribbled down for tonight. And you are so right that we go through the summer months when there is, there's always something happening in the sky. But as soon as we get to a bit more darkness, there is so much going on. There always is. There and always is. So what are, the, what are the highlights of the coming week? Huh? Well, the main highlights is, um, unfortunately, it's cloudy tonight, but the International Space Station went over about 11 minutes past nine, and it'll be visible again tomorrow. It will be visible tomorrow just after 20 past eight, and again at three minutes to nine. If it's clear tomorrow night, get yourselves outside and look at the western horizon a little bit before 20 past eight or three minutes to nine officially, and see if you can spot the space station. We had a fantastic night up Snaefell on Saturday night, and Everyone had their dinner up the top of Snaefell for the Pie in the Sky event. First time we've ever done this, we did not serve the pudding until we all went outside and watched the space station go over because it was a fantastically clear night. Really one of the best we've ever had up there. And what made it special was there's no wind or there's very little wind. So it was clear and it was calm and it was it was breathtaking. And leading on to what you asked me... Um, we managed to see three planets. We actually managed to see four planets, but in the sky we could see Saturn, Jupiter and Mars. And you're going to ask what the fourth one was, aren't you? The one we're standing on. I always fall for that, <laughs> I tell you. <laughs> I... But as well as that, we had the Milky Way visible. Now, the Milky Way, people often say to me they can't see the Milky Way or where's the Milky Way, can't I see it? Um, you'll only see the Milky Way when there's no moon around. That's the first thing. Uh, but the second thing is this is the best time of the year because the Milky Way actually moves as we go around the sun. The position that the Milky Way is in does change. And in autumn, it goes right across the sky. It goes from southeast, sorry, southwest to northeast, straight across the top of Snaefell. It was absolutely magnificent. I can't... I'm in raptures about how good it was on Saturday because it was so good for us. We're doing another event up there incidentally at the end of October. Um, so if you're interested, get in touch with the railways, but I can't guarantee the weather will be the same. In which case, they get a talk from me, which is uh, not quite the same. Well, Howard, it, 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 is, it is because it will be a very entertaining evening. It will be entertaining and informative. Of course, it's when the conditions are good, okay. it's the ultimate. Exactly. But, but, but it, it's worth taking a chance, isn't it? It certainly is. And uh, as I say, with the International Space Station just happening to be visible at the same time, that was an unexpected and very much a, a pleasurable bonus. 
The other thing we've got is that there are two meteor showers visible in the month of October. We have the Draconid meteor shower, which is seen in the northern horizon at the early part of the month, around the 7th of October. And exceptionally, this meteor shower is seen in the evening rather than after midnight. And it's in the northern part of the sky, so the moonlight won't interfere with it at all. Um, because if we can look towards the pole star and towards the plough, uh, which is sitting on the northern horizon at the moment, the draconids are above uh, the plough, basically. And you might see up to 10 an hour if it's a good clear night. Now, we've had some great weather recently. I know today's rubbish, um, but we really have had a lovely couple of nights. And in fact, over the last three or four weeks, we've had some wonderful weather. And of course, as you say, it, it, the skies get darker earlier and we start to see these things. So if you're interested, look for the Draconid meteors um, around the 7th of October. But then one of the, not one of the best showers, I'd call this a silver medal shower, as opposed to the two gold medal showers, the Persids and the Geminids. Uh, the Orionid shower, which peaks on the 21st of October, that's always well worth looking out for. And Orion is a winter constellation that will be rising in the east. So you need to be looking towards the eastern horizon around the evening of the 21st, 22nd of October. And we haven't failed yet, Judith. Everyone keeps saying we ask about these meteor showers. If it's clear and you actually do go and have a look for them, you're almost certainly going to see them. And um, good luck with them. And... Uh, you never know what you might see, so um, give it a try. Um, as well as that, just to finish off the things visible in our sky in the month of October, we have got a partial eclipse of the sun taking place. Now, this is always a special event, an eclipse of the sun, a partial, this one in particular. Um, the sun is going to be about 20% eclipsed by the moon, roughly about 10 o'clock in the morning. We're actually going to be doing an eclipse breakfast down at the Sound, if you're interested, get in touch with the Sound and see if you want to come along to that. Uh, again, it is weather-dependent, of course. I think we've done three now and they've all been cloudy. So I think we've done two, that's right. So this is third time lucky. So it's going to be clear. But if it's not, again, people will get their entertainment by me showing pictures of what we could have seen and indeed look forward maybe to some other eclipses because there are actually a whole series of eclipses taking place in the next five or six years, um, some more spectacular than others, all visible from the Isle of Man. So I can tell you all about that if it's cloudy or even if it's not cloudy, I'll tell you about that while we're outside looking at the eclipse itself. Yeah, but th this is it. And I think this is, to some extent, what kind of keeps the mystery of it going. Will will the conditions be right to see all these things? Yeah. But I have to say that um, you're talking about, you know, looking due east and due south and, and, and all the rest of it. Just want to put in a little plug for the gift that you gave me a, a few years ago now, when we first started oh, doing this programme. Yes. And you gave me this pla uh, planosphere. Planosphere, yes. Wonderful piece of cake. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You just dial the date and away you go. And away you go. And I, I've, I've got it handy so that when the conditions are right, I can go and use it to help me to see what I'm doing. And it, it's, it's just it, because so much in life is you either get a free app for it and you've got to have a smartphone and all that goes with it. This is cheap, easy to use exactly. and absolutely does the job. Well, I tell you, it's no word of a lie. When I go to the Southern Hemisphere on one of my cruises, I take a Southern Hemisphere planetarium with me, planetarium with me, because I do not know the Southern sky. I know a little bit. I know the Southern Cross and things like that. But I do not know the sky as well as I know the Northern Hemisphere. So I always take it with me. And the night before I'm on deck showing people the sky um, from Australia or wherever it might be, I'll have my planetarium with me and I'll be frantically saying, well, that's so-and-so and that's so-and-so and that's something else. Because everything's upside down. It's weird in the Southern Hemisphere. So it doesn't work if you do a handstand on deck. That doesn't uh, really no. help. No, not on a moving deck especially. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm full of good ideas, aren't no, I? Absolutely. Right. Okay. Yeah. 
So, Clansphere, you can find them. They're probably around about £10. About £10, £9.99, something like that, in all good bookshops. And, and um, they're well worth an investment because you can take them with you. You can get small ones. Mine's a little tiny small one, which just fits in my bag very easily. Uh, or you can get the big one like I gave you. Yeah. Um, and they're just so useful. And uh, it gives you the chance to identify what you're looking at in the sky. I mean, at the moment, as I've already mentioned, we've got the planets Jupiter unmistakably bright. Saturn with its ring system a little bit to the right of it, towards the western sky. But then last night, again, not hopping on about the top of Snaefell, we knew Mars was going to be visible. And literally, as the trams were getting ready to go, it just popped up above the horizon, a distinctively red-coloured Mars, which, I mentioned the word opposition before, Jupiter was at opposition uh, tomorrow. Uh, Mars is at opposition, I think, it's the 4th of December. So that's going to be get brighter and brighter in the sky. And, of course, Mars is just a fascinating object, of course, because... Uh, um, there's so much going on there, and there's so much uh, spacecraft and missions and all the rest. So, uh, watch this space, as they say. Well, and that is a really excellent lead in to the, our next bit of the program, which is all about all, space. All about space flight and what's going on in the world of space. Now, I just love it when a plan comes together. And so, Howard says to me, what should we have for our music tonight? And I said, Howard, I think at this time of the year there is only one possible song we can play, and it is Neil Young, who is out under that harvest moon. Climbing high 
Harvest Moon. You are listening to this month's edition of the Manx Sky at Night. Joining me in the studio is Howard Parkin. And uh, in this part of the programme, it's all things space that we're going to have a little chat about. And the last time we were together, we were getting very enthusiastic about the launch of the, the space launch system. They've just not had the right conditions. No, have, have I'm they? afraid not. It's, it's frustrating because the media, not Max Radio, of course, but the media get very upset when these things don't go to plan. They don't launch or they don't do what they're meant to do. But this is a major experiment. This is a major development and they're not going to launch it until they're 100% right just as you wouldn't launch a ship or a car or a lorry or anything else until you're convinced this thing is right you will not go they got so far down on the count and they found a minor problem with one of the sensors in one of the engines so they aborted the launch they then had a problem with a leak one of the hydrogen connectors was wrong so they managed to fix that they had a, a pressure test only a couple of days ago and it passed with flying colors so it was all set to go on tuesday Now Hurricane Ian is heading towards the Florida coast, so they've made a decision to not launch on the 27th, which was the original plan, and in fact they're seriously considering rolling the whole rocket back into the vehicle assembly building. You've probably seen these pictures of this wonderful crawler system they've got that takes the rockets out to the launch pad. If they do decide to take it back in to protect it from the severe weather that's expected, um, it will cause probably another two weeks delay. But there's a whole... There's a, there's a website you can look at, and there's a whole series of potential launch dates right through to December. They will launch when they're ready. It costs a lot of money to delay these launches, but they're not going to launch it unless they're confident it's right. Even then, it is a test mission. It's not manned because they want to make sure everything's OK before they put men and women on board. Um, it will go, but it's, it's annoying when you get these reports about NASA fails to launch again. They didn't fail to launch again. They successfully identified that it would be inappropriate to launch at that time. And um, I feel for them because I, I know some of the people involved with it and they're, they're so enthusiastic and there's so much work going into it. And every time they get one of these things ready, they've got to fuel it and they lose a lot of fuel when they, uh, they defuel it because um, they've got to, it, it evaporates, this sort of thing. Um, but watch this space. It will go soon and when it goes, it will be spectacular. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, Howard, that it has to be put into its context. I think, um, in fairness to the media, um, it doesn't happen and they just want a snappy headline and and which doesn't necessarily convey what's going on behind it. Because you're right, whilst it does cost a lot of money to delay the launch, the thing cost a fortune, absolute well, beyond a fortune, to make it. Um, So, as you say, they're going to try and protect that and protect... They're going to protect their investment. And on that subject, the other pet subject the space enthusiasts have is people say about spending all this money on space, what a waste of money. What about all the research? What about all the jobs? What about all the employment? What about the engineering, the science, the technology? No money goes into space. It all is spent on the Earth. And we benefit so much from all the technology we've got. And um, again, it's a frustration when people say, oh, we shouldn't be spending money on space. We should be spending it on the earth. We are spending it on the earth. And one of the world's biggest industries, a hidden industry almost, because no one talks about it, but the amount of money that is ploughed into not just the the American economy and other countries, but even the Isle of Man economy benefits from the work 
the screwing on in space, the, the work of Mansat, for instance, they give a fortune um, in orbital fees to the Manx government. The Manx Exchequer gets money from the space world. And space is, is, is a real growth industry. But I do think we need to be reminded of that. And oh, yes. the, the other thing that I've learned over the years is how many materials are developed mm. with particular qualities. And then materials again, then go on to be used in things like healthcare and oh, general yes. engineering Very and so. all that kind of thing. So it is to some extent a laboratory for the world it as is. well as exploration yeah. of, of space. But so, as you say, we'll see what happens. SLS will go. I suspect it's going to go back to the VAB, the the, um, the hangar, if you want to call it that. I suspect they're going to take it back in for safety reasons, and it'll probably be delayed till mid-October now. Mm. I might be wrong. I think the window opens from the 27th till the 4th of October, but I suspect they're going to be cautious and take the whole thing back into the um, into the vehicle assembly building, that huge big cube that they've got in Florida that uh, was built in the 60s. But once the word gets out that they're going, all eyes will be on them oh, again. Yes. We'll oh, all yes. be online watching. Mine. watching <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right. So what else is happening? What, what else is going on? Hard? Well, the other interesting thing is at the moment, the world's largest rocket is a Starlink rocket, a Starlink rocket um, that uh, was built by SpaceX. And of course, when this rocket launches, this SLS rocket launches, they will take over as being the world's largest rocket. In the meantime, Elon Musk's Starlink is his new Starlink rocket with the um, um, the spacecraft that's going to go on top of it um, will be even bigger than the SLS rocket. And he has said only a few days ago that he hopes to launch his um, Starship into orbit um, by the end of October, possibly. So he won't lose his title of being the world's largest rocket for long. Uh, but that will be quite spectacular as well because you may recall last year they had a whole series of test launches and quite a lot of them exploded on the uh, when they came into land they exploded but that was again it wasn't a failure it was just a it didn't it did everything but land successfully so rather than not launch them they kept launching them different commercial as opposed to governmental um, uh, space flight and once they got it right they've stopped doing that now they know it will land properly they know how to land it now they're perfecting the system of taking it into orbit uh, it's got 33 engines this particular rocket so it's quite a an elaborate beast and um, this is the one that Elon Musk is going to use to take men and women to Mars that's the that's the reality of what he's building but he's also been contracted to um, provide the lander for the uh, Artemis mission which the Artemis mission is what the SLS rocket is launching the Artemis um, mission has got the Orion capsule and when they get to lunar orbit in this new SLS rocket and Orion spacecraft they're going to use a SpaceX um, Starliner to get down to the lunar surface so everything's linked together and uh, very exciting at the moment what's going on it's difficult to keep pace with it all well, yeah, it must be, but you do. You do a grand job, Hard. But, but <laughs> it's interesting because what we've got here now, from if I'm um, understanding correctly, we're getting a mix of government and, and private commercial. Yeah, uh, commercial. So. Um, with, I would have guessed, two different approaches. Oh, totally different. I mean, uh, one is doing it for commercial reasons, the other is doing it for pure exploration reasons and, and pride. And, and in the space race, we know the space race was Russia versus America, who could get to the moon first. That has gone, but there is still an element of competition, there's still a, an element of pride. But people like SpaceX and uh, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and others are all now putting their money into space because they know that's the new frontier and that's where development will take place. That's where there will be money made. And uh, just like aviation is now a major money earner for um, the aviation industry, 100 years ago it was barnstorming and, uh, you know, people wouldn't think about going in aircraft. Now, of course, it's commonplace.
But it's going to be interesting to see how the whole thing ramps up with, with there being so much commercial involvement oh, yes. now and, and how that will change the and, face. And, and, yeah, and the other interesting thing is the Chinese. The Chinese are going their own way and they're building nicely their own space programme and they've said they're going to go to the moon and to Mars and there is an element of uh, inter intergovernment rivalry um, and the Russians are still, despite the problems we've got in Russia and all the rest, they've still got an active space program. Only a few days ago, uh, they launched a Soyuz rocket to the International Space Station with an American astronaut on board. And in about a week's time, they're launching a rocket from America with a Russian cosmonaut on board. International cooperation is still taking place in the space world, despite the economic and uh, mm-hmm terrible problems we've got in Russia at the moment. It does really need to, we keep saying this, don't we? It, it, it really should be everybody working together. It's got it's to be. It's got to be international cooperation. And to be fair, the ISS is that. I mean, apart from China, uh, every other nation in the world who wants to be involved, and it is, uh, China chose not to be involved in the ISS and they're building their own. Um, but even Britain have got a, an element, a, a, a stake in the ISS as well. This is probably a ridiculous question, um, but I'll venture it anyway. Are, are the Chinese using very, very different technology, or does nobody no. know what they're doing? No, or? they're using very, very similar technologies that the Russians are using. Um, their spacecraft and their rockets are very similar to the Russian system. Their launch vehicles are different now, but they were originally very much copies of the Russian systems. Um, because everything's freely available, there's not much restricted. Yes, there is some restrictions on the, the intricate details, but the space industry is very open. Um, but the Chinese have decided to go on their own with their Tiangong spacecraft. Incidentally, there are 13 people in space today. As we oh, sit okay. here, there are 13 people in orbit around the Earth at the moment. That's the thing that fascinates me when I can see the International Space Station, yeah. to look at it and think, there's people there working. Yeah. There's, there's 10 people on. on it. If it was visible tonight, or maybe tomorrow when you see it, tomorrow at 20 past 8, if you get the chance, um, there are 10 people on board at the moment. Three are coming back um, in a few days' time. And then, because there's normally seven, and three went up to replace the other three, and then another four are going up from America to replace the other four. So just at the moment, it's on a um, extra, there's, there's ten of them, as I say, normally it's only seven. We talk about this, we always mention the, the ISS at least once on every programme. Oh, it's still, it still kind of fries my brain to think of people living on a, on a, on a workstation out out in space. Yeah, in, roughly the size of the inside of a jumbo jet. That's how big mm-hmm. it is. And you want to get the idea, what, how big is this thing? It's roughly the inside of a 747. There are some fascinating videos, aren't there, oh, on YouTube much, yeah. of, the, of of what life is like inside. Well worth the, looking at. Yeah, it, it is. But even so, the idea of all that going on in space yeah, while absolutely. we're down here pottering and, around, you know. I on, mean, I mentioned before, it's visible 20 past 8 tomorrow and then it's visible again at 3 minutes to 9. It's going right round the Earth in that 90 minutes. And that also it's just mind blowing. It's a scary is a scary thought. Someone asked me on Saturday, said to me, How fast is it going? And it's going seventeen thousand miles an hour. We know that because <laughs> if it went any slower it wouldn't stay in orbit. And and when we think that when the bikes do hundred and ninety nine down the Solby Strait, we think that's pretty think that's pretty fast. Absolutely. So um yeah. But that that's the reality. When you say of how course. quickly it, it goes around the earth in the matter of minutes, that yeah, shows definitely. it. Before we get beaten by the, the speed of sound, Howard, what else? Because we've only got about a minute left. What well, have we I must got? just say that the James Webb Telescope is still working brilliantly. It is now producing pictures of the planets. Now, it's looking in infrared rather than visible light. And it so far looked at Mars, it's looked at Jupiter, and it's looked at Neptune. And we've not had a photograph since the Voyager spacecraft of, sorry, since the New Horizons spacecraft of the rings of Neptune, I don't think it was. But 
brilliant pictures. Just go online, James Webb Telescope, latest images. It's mind-blowing, the stuff this thing is coming up with. And, of course, there's a lot more to come. So watch this space, and we'll be um, telling you all about them, hopefully, next month. Howard, always a pleasure to welcome you back. Not giving too much away, but October's programme might be just something a little bit different, a little bit special. Howard Parkin, Foster Mai. My pleasure. Good night. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.